Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. He has been denied more than one victory multiple times, and that's a major source of frustration for Scott Dixon. Last year was a real annoying race for him with fuel issues. But guess what? He's challenged that and challenged it into positivity. Scott Dixon is a five-time Indianapolis pole winner, and he's done it in the fastest way. Wow, that's Scott Dixon qualifying and securing pole position for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500. Not only was it his uh, fifth of his Indy uh, 500 career, but was also the fastest pole run in Indy car history. The Iceman was pushed by his competitors with unusually fast times in qualifying, building the anticipation what's sure to be a classic edition of the greatest spectacle in racing. It all takes place uh, 4.45 in New Zealand time to provide us with insight into the leader of the race as Indianapolis uh, native and host of the new track record podcast, Caleb Hatch. Caleb, good morning to you, New Zealand time. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, listen, Scott Dixon, obviously very dear to our heart. Uh, just uh, tell us uh, about that performance. Uh, was it uh, was it Dixon's skills as a driver there that made the difference, or perhaps the car? A uh, little bit of both, but I mean, honestly, Scott Dixon has been doing this for so long, right? And he's established himself kind of on the next level in the series as one of the all-time greats in IndyCar, arguably one of the greatest IndyCar drivers of all time, uh, perhaps the greatest IndyCar driver of all time, uh, some could argue. So he just always finds a way to find that extra oomph in qualifying. And, you know, for a guy whose first pole came all the way back in 2008, where he won from pole for this race, his qualifying performances have gotten better over the years, and he's become kind of the guy in Indy 500 qualifying. Can you tell us a wee bit about the background of this uh, great race, uh, Caleb? Uh, because it is uh, regarded as the greatest spectacle in racing um, at the Brickyard. Why the Brickyard? So the Brickyard, quite simply, when they built the track, uh, there were millions of bricks laid down. And so that why that's why it was called the Brickyard. And they still have a yard of bricks at the start finish line, kind of as an homage to that. So it's uh, it, it's it started with actual bricks that were put down, paving bricks, and over the time, they started filling in some of the bricks with asphalt. Obviously, now still just the yard of bricks of the start finish line that uh, make up the name, the Brickyard. Fantastic, and we're looking at a what a crowd of uh, say three hundred thousand people. Is that right? Yes, uh, 300,000 or more expected. Ticket sales have been and quite good for this event, and it's really no surprise. You have a lot of storylines. Scott Dixon, obviously the, the storyline you're focused on there in New Zealand, but also Jimmy Johnson, a seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, participating in his first Indy 500 qualifying uh, 12th. And also Ramon Grosjean, familiar to F1 fans, He's also participating in his first Indy 500 as well, starting in ninth. And uh, in the U.S., it'll be the first full-capacity Indy 500 since 2019. And, and last I saw ticket sales trending up 
about 10% higher than they were in 2019 as of a, a week or so ago. And they're expecting the largest race day crowd that they've had in Indy outside of the 100th running in 2016 when it was a complete sellout, but the largest race day crowd in about 20 years. Caleb, 300,000 people around an oval track. Uh, I think they, they go around it. Uh, my estimation is uh, around about 200 times. I think it's 2.5 miles uh, the circuit. So, yeah, 200 laps. Uh, do they even get a chance to, to take in the crowd, uh, the drivers? Well, the, their only chance really to take in, in the crowd, they have parade laps at the beginning. They'll do a handful of, the, of those behind a, a pace car. So that's where they can kind of take in the crowd. And for some of these drivers... Uh, some of the young guys, it's going to be their first full capacity Indy 500. I talked with Renus VK earlier today, and I didn't think about it, but uh, my co-host on the podcast, Justin Kinney, brought up that this will be his first race with a full capacity Indy 500. His rookie year is 2020 when they didn't have fans. Last year, 130, uh, 135,000 fans uh, estimated in the stands as they capped attendance. And so that's another thing to think about because – uh, the race changes when you're driving around, you know, in practice and qualifying. It changes your depth perception, seeing all those fans crammed into the bleachers, and, and it kind of changes how you approach turn one. So that will be something to keep in mind, especially for the younger drivers and rookies in this event. Caleb Hitch, uh, I just wonder, the, the, the Indianapolis 500, is that is that the jewel in the crown for these guys? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's why these guys wake up every day to train, it's why they're sitting through, you know, all the engineering meetings. It's the testing. Um, yes, you, you want to win some other the kind of crown jewel events on, on the circuit, like Road America, which is a, a top road course, Long Beach, um, well-established street course race as well. But these guys, it's all about the Indy 500. And they take an Indy 500 over a series championship win any day of the week. Okay, let's uh, look at the the other contenders. Of course, Scott Dixon has pole, but uh, Chip Canassi, uh, it looks as if they're going to play a, quite a strong hand in the event. Yes, Alex Pillow, the defending NTT IndyCar Series champion, starting right behind his teammate Scott Dixon in second. He's one of the guys to keep an eye on. He finished second to Elio Castroneves last year. I, I think he has a really strong chance to pick up his first Indy 500 win on Sunday. You look at elsewhere in the Ganassi team, I mean, they're just so strong, right? You had four in the fast six in qualifying, Marcus Erickson starting fifth, Tony Kanaan, who won in 2013, starting sixth, and then Jimmy Johnson starting 12th and had an incredible save on his first qualifying lap between turns one and two. Otherwise, I think he'd be starting up quite a bit higher. Then you get outside of the Ganassi stable where they have five true contenders, uh, Ed Carpenter Racing always has fast cars for qualifying and has improved their race day performance. Renis VK in third, Ed Carpenter in fourth, and uh, Connor Daly back in 18th, but he led the most laps last year. I, I think once you get out of that, some more dark horse picks. You have Takuma Sato, who's won this race twice before. You have uh, Simon Pagino, who won back in 2019 and 16th. And, and I think kind of the question marks in our the Andretti team, uh, Michael Andretti's team, you have guys like Roman Grosjean. I mentioned he's starting ninth. I think that was a bit of a surprise his qualifying performance, but he's a rookie. But then the guys you expected to be up there: Alexander Rossi, all the way back in twentieth; Marco Andretti, twenty-third; Colton Herta, twenty-fifth. I mean, these are some big names in the sport. Guys you would expect to be contending, but they're starting pretty far back in the pack. And then also with the Meyer Shank team, Simon Pagino kind of starting mid-pack, but Elio Castroneves all the way back in 27th. 
and Team Penske, right? Scotty McLaughlin mm-hmm. back in 26. I, I think he's had a great season so far, but when you start that far back, it makes it tough. And uh, Will Power with a, a solid effort in 11th, and then Joseph Newgarden 14th. You, you would think Joseph Newgarden would win this race eventually. He's come close before. He's one of the top drivers in the series, but for whatever reason, the Indy 500 has not worked out his way just yet. What happened to Scott McLaughlin in qualifying? I mean, he's been to the fore in a lot of uh, races already, and he had a Rookie of the Year performance last year. He started this year well. But here we find him at 26th uh, in terms of uh, starting position. What happened uh, with with that situation, Caleb? Yeah, so he was looking to start mid-pack. Then there were some storms that that rolled through, some rains. There was a bit of a delay, but there was just enough of a gap for the track to reopen, get dried, and finish some qualifying runs. Some guys had to go to Kumasato, who was disqualified. Marco Andretti, who had to requalify because of uh, Sato's uh, disqualification. And, um, they had to go. And then I believe uh, there's a- another driver who waited in line. But then Scott McLaughlin and Joseph Newgarden both went out. Now, McLaughlin finished his run. He actually went slower on this run on Saturday afternoon at Indianapolis. And so he moved back several spots. So that gamble did not pay off. Joseph Newgarden kind of lucked out as there was lightning spotted in the area. So he was on the warm-up lane, hadn't quite taken his qualification run. So he's still locked in at 14th. But for Penske overall, I I think it's just a big surprise. This is a couple years in a row now that they've struggled in qualifying. And while, yes, Penske wants to win the Indy 500, but qualifying is probably priority number two for that organization. So to see them not have fast cars a couple years in a row is a big surprise. However, on race day and their race cars, I expect the Penske cars like McLaughlin, Newgarden, uh, to be moving up in the field and catching up to their teammate Will Power. From a manufacturer's uh, standpoint, Caleb, uh, does this race determine whether a year has been successful or not? Yeah, quite often it does. Honda and Chevy are so close in this series, and y- you know it- it's hard to know what to expect going into the Indy 500 every year. What team will have the qualifying speed? Uh, what manufacturer will have the speed for the race and it really comes down on Sunday to outright fuel mileage right so just because uh, one manufacturer may have more pace if you're not getting good fuel mileage it's not going to help you out in the long run you may have to make more frequent pit stops it, it, it ruins the strategy and makes it a lot tougher but Honda winning this race last year with Elio Castro Nevis is, is uh, win for Honda a big boost for them They've won a couple years in a row now as Sato won for Honda in 2020. So we'll see if Honda can make it three in a row here or if Chevy can bounce back. And, you know, it, it, the the power side outside of Ed Carpenter Racing seem to be with Honda in qualifying, but that narrative can always shift on race day. So that's where Dixon got it wrong last time around, wasn't it? Was the fuel strategy as such that cost him? So uh, what, what will he have learnt from that? What, what would we should be looking back, back in New Zealand um, next Monday morning in terms of the strategies of the various uh, manufacturers as such? And, and uh, do, we, do we come to a point now where Dixon is the main driver? We see quite often that you know, we have main drivers uh, with certain manufacturers and that. Do they get preference in the strategies as such? Uh, not necessarily. It's it's more on a team side when it comes to who gets preference. And so with a team like Ganassi, you have five bullets, right? So you can run multiple strategies amongst the engineers and, and the, the teams and see who can kind of pay off, do different strategies, maybe make a gamble with one driver, not with another. So 
he'll be on kind of the main strategy unless there's a, a big change up early on in the race. And then you kind of tweak and experiment with some of the other cars. And so obviously having that pole position, they're going to do everything they can to help him win the race. And, and last year was just unfortunate timing, right? Uh, caught out on the caution, ran out of fuel, had a limp to pit lane, had to take service in a closed pit, got penalized for that. And it was just kind of a, a mid pack day for him the rest of the way. But, uh, you know, it, it gets down to it with Dixon. I mean, he's, he's had five poles here, as you mentioned, won this race in 2008, but it's just, it's shocking that this is his only win back in 2008. He's been so good. He's led so many laps. He could become the all-time lap leader for the Indy 500 on Sunday as well. So a lot at stake for him. And I think if he can pick up that second Indy 500 win, it would kind of cement his legacy in the sport. So his legacy, uh, I mean, you're, you're, you know, uh, along with your podcast, New Trek uh, Record, uh, of course, that, that you're involved in with, uh, with your, um, your partners in, in that as well. I, I just wonder, uh, we sort of, I think, we're at home in New Zealand from time to time, because he's out of sight uh, and doesn't have much time at home, we, we kind of don't have uh, the recognition for Scott Dixon from time to time. I mean, every now and then he's a nomination on our Sportsman of the Year as such. Just how highly regarded is Scott Dixon from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, in IndyCar, fans, I mean, I think fans have the utmost respect for him. I think a lot of people see him as as the GOAT, if you will. Uh, 50 IndyCar wins. He's uh, catching up there just a couple of behind Mario Andretti. And then who knows, maybe he could catch A.J. Foyt in a couple of years. But uh, he's very well respected, not just in the paddock with the drivers, but also with the fans. And I think the only thing missing on his resume is being a multiple uh, time Indy 500 winner because he's done everything else. I mean, He's won so many championships, had that great run in 2020, winning the first three races of the season to pick up uh, his sixth title. So one more title, he kind of reaches that pantheon in motorsports as well with with seven. So that's kind of the other thing to check off on the list. But yeah, he's very highly regarded. But also at the same time, you mentioned kind of out of sight for New Zealanders. He's pretty content, you know, not necessarily being in the spotlight. I mean, he, he does his job. He goes to work. And he's had so much success, but he's also a guy that doesn't mind kind of the kind of the quiet life and, and living in Indianapolis. It's been great catching up with you, Caleb, and uh, thanks so much for giving us a uh, deeper insight into this great race coming up, the greatest spectacle in racing. Uh, New Zealand time, 4.45. It begins uh, next Monday, and uh, we shall be glued to the screen, I'm sure. Just not motor racing fans. Hey, hey thanks for your time, and enjoy the event uh, yet again, and uh, we hope to catch up with you again in the future. Thank you, Caleb. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ian. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.